Welcome to Music Crush, a new music podcast hosted by Flute New Music Consortium. I'm Elizabeth Robinson. And I'm Nicole Reiner. And announcing FNMC Presents, an album of previous commissions and competition winners performed by members of the Flute New Music Consortium. Repertoire includes works by Sean O'Pevolo, Joseph Hallman, Becca Sims, Sharice Leiter, and others. Purchase a copy today. All proceeds go directly to FNMC. Flute New Music Consortium, Inc. is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your contributions are tax deductible to the extent allowed by the law. Visit www.flutenewmusicconsortium.com for details. Zach Latino is an actor, musician, and composer based in New York City. Among their many dramatic accomplishments, Zach created the role of Darnell Brooks on Xavier Niles' Boyfriends, Season 1, available on YouTube. Zach is also the founder and executive director of Valid Bodies Arts Project, a 501c3 performance production company committed to identity-conscious casting. In 2022, VBAP, I like that, VBAP produced two shows, A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Players Theater and Dog Sees God with American Theater of Actors to audience acclaim. Although content with a career playing male roles, Zach is a non-binary person who aims to normalize gender non-conforming representation in professional spaces. As a musician, Zach has worked with Jack Quartet, RDD Quartet, and Divertimento Ensemble, among others. Most recently, Zach was named a finalist for the American Prize in Orchestral Composition for Hidden Lakes. And we know Zach as the solo winner of FNMC's composition competition back in 2021 for their fascinating work fitting in. Zach, welcome to Music Crush. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Oh, what an intro. <laughs> that's a that's really nice. Thank you. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. It's so great to get a chance to talk to you. Um, yeah. and and actually, that intro is just a fraction, right? I mean, I, I I sort of cobbled together your bits and pieces of your two bios on your website, yes. your acting bio and your music bio, but many fascinating things that you're doing right now. But I'm also curious about your past. Can you walk us through a narrative of how you came to be this magnificent, accomplished actor and musician? So I'm a I'm a Jersey kid, grew up in New Jersey, and that's that's really important because of its proximity to New York. I yeah. think um, that I was really privileged and lucky to get to come here quite a bit as a young person. Um, uh, music really started through the theater, um, so it's kind of funny that I've sort of come back, and I guess that's something that we'll talk about later. But I've always really been. Uh, drawn to the storytelling aspect of of performance and and uh, so my f- neighbors actually played for me the Wicked cast album Wicked the musical and I was like seven and it was in the, in the back of their van um, and and I had heard this music for the first time like like this um, incredible because you know only listening to FM radio and uh, and stuff like that for a long time having having heard show tunes for the first time um, like that orchestra and just that particular sound was really really um left quite an impression on me as a young person um and and for a really long time i thought it was the acting that i really wanted that i was kind of obsessed with um being in those roles um but i kind of struggled with anxiety going into maybe 15 and 16 years old um in my life and so instead of performing and being like in the front where everybody could see me doing stuff i decided that maybe i was really comfortable making those things happen uh from the background um, so I did like stage crew and and stuff, but and that's actually sort of how I fell into writing for the stage and and music is is um sort of a natural progression into maybe having more control than being a stagehand, right, and actually being in the creation process, but still not having to act, um, which is something that really uh, 
really was difficult for me as a young person to put myself out there. That's amazing. Yeah, I was. I'm surprised. I'm surprised to hear that. I figured music would come first, you know, from public school band or orchestra or something. So that's that's interesting to hear how you got hooked into music from acting. I, I think it's I think it's important because it's sort of um, always influenced how I feel about it as a storytelling medium and and not always from everybody else, but at least my output. Um, I very much feel like I'm telling a narrative and and that impression sort of definitely is influenced from the thespian side, you know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Tell us about Valid Bodies. Yeah, okay. Um, Valid Bodies Arts Project is a uh, COVID nineteen <laughs> project. Um, as as many of us were were um, sitting inside, we had you know we had more time to do stuff. Um, so I really wanted to get back into acting. This is sort of entering my brave bubble, as I call it, when I get really brave to do something, um, and then sometimes my brave bubble pops and so i had the the acting brave bubble come back once or twice before and this was my third like theater brave bubble like i was like i'm gonna do it you know we're all mortal you know like i have to do what i want to do you know um but still too afraid to necessarily be the center of attention um so i thought that my best way into theater was by directing um and maybe being able to be still not the front and center but maybe you know doing more on uh hands-on work than somebody on the creative team or something. Um, so that the initiation of that company was I could maybe have my own production company to produce things that I would then direct. Um, after directing my first show, I really didn't like it. Like I just didn't like <laughs> the process um, that much. I, I wasn't necessarily spiritually drawn to directing that much, um, but I still had the 501c3, which which I have failed to mention so far was... Um, initially created to to highlight the work of gender diverse people um, in New York City um, with a secondary emphasis on anybody who has been um, sort of othered by that industry typically. Um, but that's sort of our primary was the LGBTQ focus. Um, anyway, um, I had that company still. Um, and then one day my friend was like, hey, you know, we should uh, do Midsummer Night's Dream. And it was it was really somebody else's idea, my, who's now my vice president. And we produced that first show and then we were able to do a second one uh, just this past October. And it's been really amazing. Wow. So are you, have you hung up your director hat then? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know necessarily. I remember at the time, after having done that first show, um, I just wasn't necessarily as passionate about the process. I thought um, there just wasn't something that I connected with, at least the you know on a theater level. I thought about maybe going back and directing film someday. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, for now, I think I'm not focused on it, at least. Well, let's talk about your solo work for Flute Fitting In, because we're flute players, so we're going to go there. Uh, I love your composer's note. It is so generous and so candid and meaningful. Would you please just read it for us? Sure. (laughs) Sure. Um, Absolutely. I'd be delighted to read my program note for you. Uh, Thanks. Okay, so so this I wrote for for this piece, Fitting In, that we're going to talk about. Fitting in is about exactly that, fitting in. As a grad school dropout, I've spent a lot of my most recent career trying to find where my sound fits. Mm-hmm. Often when I write concert music like this, which is clearly in the contemporary classical lineage, I wrestle between my instincts and the extrinsic. I used to find myself second guessing everything I did even before I could write down a single note. And I often wonder where my music belonged and if I would even be taken seriously in the contemporary music circles that I found myself in. What I have, what I have come to realize is who cares? Isn't it the best thing I can do to be true to myself and to share my real voice with listeners? In the past year or two, I have come to realize that this is the only way I'm interested in writing music. And using this approach, I have written some pieces that I'm really, really proud of. Formally, fitting in is dividing into three sections. 
The first is the reveal, the second is the struggle, and the third is the changed return. Programmatically, these three parts illustrate someone boasting their true selves, coping with the rejection of their peers, and then coming out of it stronger than before, unyieldingly themselves. Although potentially biographical, this narrative could really apply to anyone. How many of us have gathered the courage to speak only to be snuffed out by those who disapprove? It is an incredibly difficult feeling and one that I think I was able to musically capture quite well. This is especially true in the middle section, which features screaming high pitched notes and intentionally awkward fingerings and techniques, which convey a sense of hysteria or perhaps even mourning. A special fervor thanks to Carlotta Raponi, who premiered the work in Milan last year, and a new gratitude extended to Nicole Reiner, whose championship of this piece has reignited my excitement for new collaborations on works from the past. Thanks for listening. Oh, that's so beautiful and so inspiring. Well, thanks. Thank Such you. Such an inspiring program note. Let's talk about it. But I'd like to talk about a little bit the specifics of the piece and then and then maybe backing up and digging through some of some of the ideas that you shared in that program note, actually. Um, fitting in involves not only virtuosic playing, but a wide lexicon of extended techniques and some pretty rhythmical and active foot stomping. We're not just yeah. we're not just talking about tapping time here, right? <laughs> um, is this you alluded to this earlier? Do you think this is a reflection of your acting life? It feels very theatrical to perform. Um, yes, I, I feel like there is a conscious movement towards um, sort of this this new chapter I'm exploring, which is a, the combination of the both, hmm. um, sort of this this semi um, theatrical world that's that's I guess mainly musical. Maybe that's the main focus. But yeah, these, these extra musical elements that sort of heighten, um, I don't know, raise the stakes even a little bit. I, I think that there's. Um, definitely a precarity in, in doing those footstomps that you do. And as I sort of mentioned in the program, it's all on, on purpose. Um, so Nicole, the, the fact that you play them as written wasn't actually always intended, but you did phenomenally well. Um, you know, that the sort of the idea is the struggle, you know? Yeah, I felt um, that, yeah. Yeah, and that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily a new idea, sure. you know? Um, I, new Complexity has done it for a while where, where you know, these, these scores that humans aren't, you're not necessarily intended to, perfectly recreate that you know that there's there's a the dialogue between the performer and the written um music is more dialogue dialogical sorry more of a dialogue you know that you can interact with it and and um it is different with every person that interacts with it you know um and i think that individuality is theatrical too that you sort of get to leave your stamp on each performance and and when people do things differently i i love it um because I think you put yourself back in it. And what's more perform-based, you know, than something that really shows you. That's very generous. You know, I, I had another question um, about fitting in that was certainly informed by my process of learning it. Um, and it's that it is it is such a cool place, or a cool piece to to both hear and play. I mean, when I heard it, I thought, this sounds really hard. Oh, damn it. Because <laughs> I have to learn it. It's amazing. You know, it's such a unique and exciting piece, every bit of it. Um, but it's hard. And and so what I wanted to ask you, um, which I think you were starting to answer already there, was, um, you know, do you have a preference for working closely with someone? You worked you worked pretty closely, and we'll talk about this in a second uh, with Carlotta Raponi. We didn't work very closely together at all, although you were very helpful when I had questions. I, I kind of you just let me you know do my thing and then perform it. Do you have a preference, or are you are you just kind of interested to see what each person decides? in terms of collaborating with you before they perform that piece? 
Yeah, um, I, I, I think where I am now is is um, sort of different from maybe where I was earlier, like maybe like undergrad. My whole impression was sort of um, to let the performer do as as much as they wanted and to have, you know, as much of a hand in every aspect of it as possible. Um, and, and my approach back then was that I would keep the scores really sparse um, mm -hmm. and I would sort of, uh, even like dynamic wise, and I would sort of really give almost too much liberty to the performer where um, I was really just marking sections and it actually became impersonal of myself. The more I try to personalize it, you know, to that degree. Yeah. Um, so, so I think now the medium I've kind of settled in is that the scores themselves are pretty packed, um, without being busy, I hope, but, but, um, that a lot of what you need is hopefully there or in the supplemental materials that I'm always happy to share, um, yeah. <laughs> such that you can do as much on your own, but you're not like terrified and you're not, you know, you're not actually starting from ground zero, um, which I think only maybe heightens the player's already existing anxiety about tackling a new language or a new venture, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's very thoughtful. So it sounds like you've you've put some bumpers in there in your in your writing for our comfort as the performers, which is so kind. <laughs> um, with any difficult piece or any any particularly creative piece that that forces us to, you know, work outside of our boxes, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, you're, you're definitely running a higher than average risk of it not being re representative of what you were hoping for. Do you experience that disappointment much, or is it more just part of the process of learning how someone else makes sense of your writing? I would be remiss to, to say that I haven't been disappointed um, in the past. I think, I think um, what I'm doing is uh, specific in a lot of ways and, and, and a lot of moments of it. Um, sort of how to, you know, which my whole thesis really is how do I combine rhythm with this more ethereal um, extended technique stuff, which tends to be very limit, like timeless. And how do I sort of bring them together? Um, that's sort of the the main thing I'm, I'm you know, pr uh, presenting right now. Um, can you remind me of the question? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was wondering how you deal with the potential disappointments yeah. when when okay. a piece that you've written isn't played the way you wanted it to go. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um yeah, no, and and I think that, and there definitely is um an appreciation of of the individual interpretations, right? And and I have been disappointed before, but I think it's also just learning um what is the limits of what's really possible in presenting that sort of specificity um, and and sort of um, inviting the rehumanization of some of those notations, which aren't, you know, if you're playing in time, perfectly possible, right? Um, so I think it's it's really um, a journey that I, that I invite is to learn somebody's interpretation, even if that's different from what I wanted, um, because that's sort of a part of the sound Right, is the trepidation sort of become a part of the whole, um, or the imperfections be are the music, you know? Um, so there's sort of this wrestling between absolute control and and inviting chaos sometimes, or inviting um, imperfections because that's part of the human element, you know. That's that I like to show off in in what I'm doing now. As a very Type A person, that's very generous to hear. I mean, it's it's a helpful reminder that you know, I sometimes I'm I'm working with a student on you know um, a 
I don't know, a more contemporary piece. And it's they'll bring it in and it seems like maybe rhythm is just a suggestion to them or something, you know, like some, right. some major part of it. They're just like throwing themselves at it. And I'm like, you owe it to the composer, you know, like do everything yeah. you possibly can. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, some scores really are completely possible to do as written and some, um, leave a little bit to the the ingenuity of the performer to figure out how they're physically going to get from one thing to the to the next on time. So that is a that's a helpful reminder that that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's that's the whole thing is the the dialogue and the individual yeah. ownership. Of, you know, that's the whole point. Yeah, for me at least. The studio recording of fitting in, I love. I listened to it on loop as I was, as I was working on it. Um, and as you mentioned in the program notes performed by the Italian flutist, Carlotta Raponi, beautiful, beautiful player, excellent, incredible playing. So exciting and alive and also very skilled. Um, I reached out to her during my own time learning the piece, mostly to just sort of say like I was crushing on her recording. I think yeah. uh, I didn't really have a specific question. I just wanted to tell her like, this is amazing. Um, and she said that she was fortunate enough to be coached by you before that, that premiere performance. I feel like I read somewhere that this was part of a competition or some kind of prize that you won, that you got to work with this ensemble in Milan. Could you, but I may be remembering wrong. Could you explain this collaboration, you know, how it came about and were you in Italy? Were you working remotely with them? Yeah, no, absolutely. This was um, something I found on one of those many composer competition websites that, you know, we, we yep. do because we have to do them. Um, and then, then there was an opportunity with Divertimento Ensemble, who's this phenomenal, phenomenal new music ensemble um, out of out of Milan, Italy, um, who who have been doing really, really um, amazing work with with people like Mara Lanza and and Unsuk Chin and, and just these awesome, really wonderful collaborations and recordings for a long time. Um, and they had unleashed, unleashed, oh my gosh, they had put out this um, casting or, uh, uh, or call for composers, excuse me, um, for pro uh, portfolios of composers so that they could write a new piece for soloists in their ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I believe that in the application process, you actually could select which instrument. Um, and I believe that it was, it was uh, flute, viola and percussion and there were six of us um, that went to the program and two people per instrument. And so it was this concert of really amazing premieres to look forward to um, and this incredibly skilled uh, Flatus to write for. Um, initially, Colada was not supposed to play it. Um, so it was it was supposed to be somebody else in the ensemble. Um, and I'm really, really grateful um, that it became Carlotta because um, I think the collaboration was just incredibly welcome and I can't really um, have imagined it any other way afterwards um and as i say you know i'm eternally grateful because I, I think the piece really is molded from um us working together and, and sort of um making it what it is yeah no oh, that's great um you also mentioned in your program note uh your experience with grad school. And so I'm curious if you're willing to share if you would be willing to tell us about your time in grad school. You mentioned that you dropped out in the composer's note, uh, it looks from your bio like you did go back and finish. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, totally. Um, I really wanted to uh, teach college for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what many of us in, in classical music aspire to do. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Not sucking up to either of you. I sincerely believe that it's a beautiful and wonderful thing, um, you know, to teach at that level. Um, and that's what I wanted to do after undergrad. So I sort of rushed into grad school right away. Um, my my main teacher at Ithaca was uh, Jorge Grossman, who's incredibly um, amazing, vibrant Peruvian composer, um, who who Boston University was his alma mater, 
And so I was really inspired by his work and the work of Lucas Foss's teacher and sort of really wanted to go into this BU Center for New Music lineage and was all excited. Um, and I was really blessed to have gotten in. Um, and I went, but I think I was maybe um, not sure enough of myself as I, as I potentially should have been. I think there's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves. Um, you know, at this age, I should be like, oh my God, I know who I am and I know what I want. Um, I think maybe I should have taken just a year and be like, you know, hey, do I really want to go launch back into school right away? Um, and and no harm on anybody because nobody was ever um, directly influential on me, on me not wanting to continue, like personally. I just felt sort of like I wasn't doing in that environment what I was meant to do. Like I was meant to get better as a composer and be more skilled as an artist. And I wasn't writing anything I was proud of for that whole first year. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just a decision that if I'm, you know, that for me personally, the 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 degree at the end wasn't enough to sort of justify me not actually getting better at my major or my right. craft, you know. Um, so I didn't go back and I still don't have a finished master's in composition. Um, I, my master's is, I do have a master's now, it's in arts administration, which I got also pandemic sort of as a, um, a little fallback for all, all the um, wonderfully secure artistic things I'm always doing, you know, just to, just to have it. Um, but so that, that's what that means when I did go back and finish. So I have the master's of arts, but I actually do not have a completed master's in music degree. What did you give us a crash course in your, your MA in arts administration. I mean, obviously you're, you're applying that to valid bodies, I would assume, but, uh, were there any, uh, I'm always, I'm always interested in the dichotomy between like, go sit in the practice room and learn how to play your instrument or, yeah. or write, write your master or write your opera. Everyone's going to write an opera and yeah. the actual, you know, nitty gritty of, of how you make a living as a musician or, or how you run an organization. Were there, were there any particular gems that you were partic particularly grateful to have learned in that MA? Yeah, I think, um, it, it was a really well-rounded program. It was, it's technically the masters of arts leadership and cultural management, um, at Colorado State University, right. um, which is just, you know, a, a fanciful title for arts administration, at least what I perceived. Um, and we did learn sort of the ins and outs of nonprofit formation and, and management, um, equally so from how to get a job in those industries for already existing organizations and sort of how to form your own. Um, and yes, the, the, my creation of valid bodies directly overlapped with my last semester at school um, nice. and had influenced me to go forward and actually apply what I had learned into doing it myself. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's, it is incredible how the, at least for me, the, the administrative side of anything and the craft have always gone hand in hand. Um, I think, you know, young composers now, there's so much about doing it yourself and not that I'm always practicing what I preach, but, you know, I think that we should be um, making our own recordings and, and pursuing our own things all the time and, and um, you know, always sort of putting ourselves out there more and more, you know, and um, being being active with our listeners in that way. Um, I sort of lost my thought. Can you, can you uh, let me know where the question was? I'm so sorry. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> No, no, you do. It's fascinating. I, I think you answered. Um, yeah, we. I was just asking you what what were some gems you learned, or, or what did you get out of that program? Leap, right? It's called the Leap program. It is the Leap program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, just to finish that thought, I think that um, so much of who I am as an, as an actor now is really from um, the equal love of the you know the applying and the writing the cover letter and the self business side of it. At least for me. 
I find that it's sort of equally creative because you're still working towards the art, even when you're doing administration stuff. And sort of that that self entrepreneurship has always fascinated me too. Mm. That was the end of that thought. Sorry. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> you can, can do I... whatever you want, but. <laughs> Can I kind of dovetail on that? This isn't from our, our preset of list of questions. So if you don't oh, want to deal with it, just wave me off. But um, I'm really fascinated. Well, I should I should back up. I work with a, a lot of students who are trying to decide, you know, where they're going and, and what is for them and what is not for them. And as, as somebody who maybe wasn't ready for grad school when it was time to do grad school. Mm. I relate really deeply to to finding yourself in a program that doesn't feel like the right fit for right now. Um, what did you do instead? No, so that was my second Brave Bubble. Um, as I mentioned before, the Brave Bubbles, right, of, you know, before they pop. This one did pop. My third Brave Bubble is going really well. Um, yeah, yeah. But my second Brave Bubble did pop. Um, <laughs> this was a, I, I wanted to do acting again. Um, and that's kind of, that's also influenced why I left is that I was, you know, sort of frustrated by that. And I was like, why am I trying to get a degree in composition to, to teach if maybe I still have this acting bug that I can't squanch, even if I really, really want to, you know, um, just cause I was afraid of the lifestyle and whatnot. Um, so I had, um, I went back to my parents' house in South Jersey and we have a really beautiful theater scene in Philadelphia. Um, and I sort of auditioned around and, and the Walnut Street Theater is there, which is a really beautiful regional theater house. And I was an understudy in a play and I did a workshop of another one. Um, that sort of what would have been the beginning of my second semester, right? So that's in the fall. So I did do like two plays. Um, and then I sort of had an existential crisis and I moved to Minnesota. <laughs> really? Yeah. Talk about culture shock. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my partner's from there. And so we went to live with his family and, um, and just for me to sort of see another way of life and to sort of take a break for a while. Um, and at the end of that, that's sort of when we came back to New York and just in time for the pandemic, which is lovely. Um, and then the world shut down. And then I, uh, I took up the, the, on, the online degree um, because I was already like academically like frustrated about having left, but I wanted to do, I wanted to finish something. Are you still composing? I am still composing. Okay. Yeah. Can, you, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about sort of if there was a break, how you came back to it? And if there wasn't a break, how you adapted as as the current circumstances of your life evolved? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I've never necessarily stopped composing like in here, you know? Um, I just have a really, and not to be corny, in here, um, I just have a, I have a really hyperactive imagination. Um, and I think that's, that's where all of my influence comes from is, is, is um, just sort of this unplaceable genesis of an idea that, that just really is organic in there. And so that's always kind of there. Um, if I don't have the time or the energy to, to notate it or to work on it or to entertain that for a while, you know, sometimes it goes on the back burner. Um, like, you know, when I'm really heavy into acting, Sure. And and sort of that takes a lot of my a lot of my brain power. Um, I'm not necessarily using that composer muscle um, as much. And because um, you mentioned young people, I think this is one of the most not the you know I'm experienced enough to really comment on it. But somebody brilliant told me, um, you know, that we pressure ourselves so much to be everything that we want to be all the time. Oh yeah. Instead of just acknowledging all the things that we are without like directly addressing them, you know. And 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 this person told me, you know, I'm a composer and a researcher and a teacher. Um, and, and, you know, a bunch of other things that they were doing and they were like, but I can't necessarily be all four at the same time. You know, like when I'm working on a research paper, maybe I'm not practicing as much, 
or when I'm, you know, I'm preparing for a performance, maybe I don't have time for my, you know, professorial duties as much that, that month or whatever that, you know, the comparison was, you know? Um, so sort of being okay in the, I have these interests and these things that are very much a part of me, but sometimes I'm entertaining one more than the others at a certain point. And that's just because of what I'm driven to do, um, that month or series of months or, or year or so. Um, but yeah, always composing and always, it's always there. Um, but just acknowledging that even if I'm not writing right now, I'm still a composer, you know, and that, that part of me still exists, even if I'm hyper-focused on something else right now. That's lovely. I have one sort of other off script question and it I may know, not I, I even be a question. Um, you've talked a little bit about, you know, administrative duties, which I, I guess I sort of catalog as a, a more behind the scenes activity. Um, but also acting is, is very much an in front of mm -hmm. the scenes kind of activity. How do you, those two preferences coexist in the same person? Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I think I think it comes from um, like the love of construction, like the love of putting things together. Okay. Okay. Um, I I was I was very tactile as a kid, and still kind of am. And I was very um, my first um, desire, or my first aspiration, was to actually be an architect. Um, and then my dad told me that it was all math, and I apparently cried for three days. Oh no! Um, <laughs> and, and like, I would I would love to be like I was seven. I was probably fifteen. Um, no, but I no, love I, that more. <laughs> yeah, I was like, gosh, I didn't know. Um, but I love, I love putting things together, I guess. And, and sort of, um, I love the idea that maybe the person that you see on the outside, you know, like the, the figurehead of, of, um, not to be corny and gross and capitalistic, but like the Zach Latino brand, you know, the thing that I'm presenting, um, yeah. is really a result of, um, sort of like a background architecture that I also created myself. You know, like the networking that goes into it and the creation of the website on a practical level, you know, and the compilation of stuff. Um, so I think it all sort of serves this this outwardness, right? The actor outwardness, as you said, you know. Um, but really the, the the inner mechanics, that's actually more so like me, me. Yeah. You know, like like that. I love the tinkering and I love and I think that's why I love composing, maybe, is the construction of of sounds, right? As, as maybe maybe at the basis of everything, I'm more of an engineer than I've ever really thought I was. I don't know. I'm you know constructing things, um, and the outward persona is very much, um, you know, still me and lovely and marvelous. But I'm probably much more um, quiet and into the background mechanics of it most of the time, actually. Do you find that there's a need to sort of balance the introvert versus extrovert facets of those two things or you you also sound like maybe you handle it more naturally than I do I'm just interested in um, in the the vacillating okay well so I take a lot of um uh, you know sometimes when you're acting there is breaks between projects and especially you know we might talk later I've I've transported I've trans what do I say I've transversed more towards film and tv now so so it's a lot of maybe weeks off and then two days of work ah, you know okay. so so I've been really lucky that I have those recovery times um I, I also just kind of suffer from chronic fatigue anyway. So, so it's nice to get to sort of um, stop for a while. But the example I was going to give is, is, is we produced Dog Sees God um, with Valid Bodies, right? This was, this was this last October 16th. Um, and I was, you know, doing a lot of the, you know, like answering emails really early and being, you know, the first point of contact for phone calls and stuff. Cause we're still a growing company, you know, um, so much so that I needed a few weeks off um, and we closed October 16th and I did not leave my apartment until November 5th. You know, like I just like needed to recoup, 
Um, and I think that's part of, or that should become more normalized, right? In doing really difficult work like this, I think. Um, kind of going back to what I said before is that you can't be this all the time. Sure. You know? That's great. I really like a lot of things that you said. Um, I'll go back on script now. Uh, your most recent works listed on your website, at least, are from 2021. Uh, we're oh, yeah. doing just sort of the beginning of 2023 as we're recording this interview. Uh, what can you tell us about your current or future music plans? Yeah, um, there is, you know, we've talked a lot about music and theater together. There is it's like a musical theater project in the works, maybe. Um, I'm working on it with my really good friend, um, getting back into, you know, I guess the genre of music that started it all, right, is going back to theater, which which I I had tried writing a show before, um, and it was fine and lovely, but it was a little immature, and then I tried again, I never finished that one. Um, so I'm really excited to sort of go back to this um, place, because, you know, the storytelling is, is so important to me, so to, to be literally able to tell stories like that um, in musical theater sounds awesome. I've, I've had a few projects, you know, that I'm sort of constructing still, um, but no new performances this year, right? So that's probably what's on my resume. There's nothing recent, um, but some really, some really cool stuff coming. So, so that's uh, that's what I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. What do you think? I'm sorry if this is adjust this question as you see fit. This might be a little corny, but what do you think the music world could learn from the acting world and vice versa? If you feel like these are kind of separate bubbles that you inhabit at different times. Yeah, they're both so centered. And I know that, you know, absolute musicians are going to argue with me about this, and that's fine. I think so much of it is storytelling. You know, I kind of touched upon that before, but, um, you know, acting is, is inhibiting inhabiting a character, you know, and and telling the story, you know, through what the actor does, right? Um, and some of the best performances I've been moved by, even if, you know, it's not literal telling a story, or those where the performance really gives the idea of a narrative or it really gives the idea of something that has started and gone through something and come out changed and, and different than how it started. Um, and that, and that's always my approach to composing too, is that, that, um, I don't know what to call it, that, that anecdote, right. Is the, the beginning and then the thing that makes you change and, and how the beginning is now different, you know? Um, and the best performances I've ever listened to are, are those that move me like that. Um, so I don't know, I, at least for me, and at least the things that I love, and I know everyone's different, it's always been that embracing of the storytelling element in both, you know, and how some and how um, really good music either itself goes through something or simultaneously also makes you change through your experience listening to it. Is there anything in the reverse? Not reverse, but is there anything that you've picked up more from music that you've brought to your acting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love this question. Um, <laughs> no, it's great. I think um, I I um I've noticed this recently actually watching like old tapes of mine. Um, especially those that are, especially those that are more stage acting influenced, right? Where it's maybe more um bigger than you know what I've been doing on camera lately. Um, is sort of the specificity of rhythm. Um, and it's something that the screenplay um and playwright Aaron Sorkin does a lot. Is he he was trained as a musician, right? And so the specificity of that dialogue. Um, is sort of going with, you know, he has a meter in his head for what he's expecting and crafting that dialect to look like, right? So it's a very musical yeah. process. Um, and I think that I sort of first had that that specificity of of um, how somebody talks in my head. And when I would memorize stuff that would really help me um, to sort of convey what I wanted to convey is thinking about it in beats and thinking about it in 
these these percussive rhythms and stuff and thinking about it as a piece um that's just something that i think i kind of that definitely helped me um wow. sort of find character really is find from where it um as augusta Reed thomas says you know from where it dances where everything <laughs> dances from where where the origin of that thing is and and how to deliver it as naturally as possible by attributing it to speech or movement or something wow wow you're giving me something very new to listen for do you have uh, aaron's organs on a ton of work um do you but do you have anything you know that is top of mind of aaron sorkins that we could all go back and listen to in a new way um the uh oh we'll go back and listen to i don't i i, I was very very blessed to see the um to kill a mockingbird adaptation on Broadway. oh yeah um really really beautiful um and and just phenomenal um he does the social network the beginning scene of the social network is astounding <laughs> um it's 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 just very and, and and i mentioned that because you only have to you know go to wherever it is on the line and start it you know and, and it's at least there but easy, really easily accessible um but the dialogue between um i'm going to butcher this because i'm not prepared i'm sorry mark zuckerberg the character mark zuckerberg and i i think the female character that maybe he's the character is dating at the time are having a conversation um and and it's and just listen to the percussiveness of it and and just the specificity of of the volleys between them um and he also works very closely with his with his um directors to to sort of also integrate the camera perspective into it too it's it's just absolutely phenomenal um especially looking at it musically is really cool wow yeah go back and do that yeah i highly recommend it it's very fun well, I think Nicole has teed us up for the question we usually ask last at any interview. Uh, okay. What are three pieces you're listening to right now? Okay, amazing. Um, this is this is just pieces. Is this is this classical? This is music. This is music. Okay. Any music. Um, I'm really, really kind of going through like an emo revival phase. I nice. was just, I, I was like an emo kid. Yeah. <laughs> um panic at the disco i love um I've, I've recently discovered like like emo folk um like like bright eyes has been around forever bright eyes the band is, is sensational. Oh, sure, sure. um listen to the people's key a lot which is one of, one of the the 2011 album is really amazing um i'm a professional dog walker is how i pay my rent usually oh. so so you know i always have my earbuds in and and um i just fell in love with with apple music this year because i keep getting recommended all these new things oh, sure, um, sure. so that's been really fun um uh, John Adams. John Adams is is really an incredibly influential figure to me, sort of, you know, in that post-minimalist tonality, but also in the rhythm. Um, uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, I, I think there's a lot of fitting in, which is short ride in the fast machine, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Not directly. That, <laughs> that opening, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Just the, the establishment of the pulse and the pulse never really goes away. Yeah. And then, you know, the John Adams B section. And then the C section when A and B make something new, you know, he does that a lot. And, and maybe that was something I just kind of figured out right now in real time that maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just a thief. Aren't, aren't we all inspired by <laughs> inspired by absolutely. Yeah. No. So um, I listened to my, 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 my father knew Charles Ives is absolutely incredible. And the other orchestral works of John Adams are, are sensational. Um, What else? But my, my favorite is always um, folk. Joni Mitchell means a lot to me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it means a lot watching her watching her um get up on stage again at that uh, at that one country festival and play guitar was is incredible after after you know what she's been through. Um so blue is an album means a lot to me, Hajira. Um these sort of folk things, which is where I think the storytelling comes from and where I keep the storytelling alive is 
is these amazing lyricists, which is funny that I got involved in writing mostly instrumental music if lyrics and poetry and storytelling are my biggest influence. But I wonder, um, that might be something for another day to suss out. That might take a while. But but it's cool <laughs> that all these things, you know, sort of live together, I think. That is awesome. Lucky for us that that you create such excellent stories for us to tell without our words. Thank you so very I'm... much for that. <laughs> That's very kind. Thank you for playing it, Nicole. Really, it was it was an honor that you wanted to do it. And um, I'm just very grateful. So thank it's... you. It's definitely, yeah, I mean, thank you for writing it. You know, it's definitely one of those pieces I I don't want to put away. I want to, <laughs> I want to keep finding. That's awesome. Yeah. I, there's so much more to, I don't know, marinate. Yeah. One, one performance of fitting in is definitely not enough for satisfaction. So. Well, thank you very much. You have uh, full, full honors to keep it alive. So thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Music Crush. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support the podcast, read show notes, and learn more about FNMC by visiting www.flutenewmusicconsortium.com. <laughs>